Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Charles and Alan Sellers. Today's episode is on how the United Nations uses international standards. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs and I am with Alan Sellers. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And how are you, Matthew? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm also with... Cindy Parakil. Hello, Cindy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matthew. Great to be on the pod with you and Alan. <laughs> now, as, uh, as Della Sol say, three, it's the magic number. Now, Cindy, before you tell us a bit more about who you are, Alan, I've realised that uh, over the last few episodes, we haven't really introduced ourselves. So probably this is a chance to, to tell tell the listeners who we are. So I'm Matthew Childs. I'm Educational Development Manager here at BSI, and we're all about developing the next generation of experts. Alan, how about you? I'm Alan Sellers, and I've been working in compliance and approvals for over 10 years now. I am very interested in telling the stories behind the standards and bringing to life the world of standardisation. Excellent. So, Cindy, that's Alan and me. Tell us who you are. I'm Cindy Parakil. I'm a project manager within BSI's International Projects Department, and we're all about helping developing countries build resilient economies by improving their standardization functions, as well as promoting the uptake of international standards. So in my role, I design and deliver programs aimed to improve the overall economic competitiveness of countries by leveraging standards and the wider quality infrastructure system. I've been working in the field of international development for over six years now, both as an economist and a quality infrastructure practitioner addressing trade development and now the digital transformation of developing countries. Well, it's great to have you here, Cindy, and great to have you part of the, the EdPod squad, as I think only I call it, um, <laughs> but it's great to have you part of the team. Now, obviously joining us uh, today specifically because of that international experience that you've talked about. Now, today's episode is all about how the United Nations uses international standards, and more of which uh, in a moment. Uh, regular listeners, though, you m- may also recognise uh, Cindy's voice. Uh, those of you who are eagle, well, actually, it's not eagle-eyed, is it? Whatever the equivalent of eagle-eyed is for ears. <laughs> bat ears, maybe. Bat yeah, eared. bat ears, maybe. Doesn't sound very nice, though, does it? Bat eared, but you're probably right. That's probably what it is. <laughs> so that's that's who you are, uh, Cindy. But we're also interested to find out where you are now. Alan, where are you today? Are you uh, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm still in lockdown in the southwest of the UK in what you believe is a mansion. <laughs> we have talked about uh, Alan's West Country mansion in the past. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's absolutely huge. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, as usual, I'm stuck uh, in my loft in southeast London. Uh, last week on the podcast, I did talk about it uh, persisting down with rain. It's actually quite sunny and bright here today. So uh, maybe the weather has turned the court, even though we're still in, in mid to late January. Uh, you never know. Sp- spring might be on its way. But Cindy... Um, where are you? Paint us a picture where you are. Why don't we try this? Close your eyes and imagine an imperial city in the heart of Europe, synonymous with classical music and famous for its New Year's Day concert. Any guesses? Is it Birmingham? Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure. We've got a quiz. We've got a quiz. Well, but yeah, Birmingham has a famous symphony hall, is it? Yeah, is it Birmingham, Cindy? Yeah, uh, not quite. <laughs> 
It's also quite known for its rich heritage of art, culture, history, and coffee houses. And for the nature lovers amongst us, it's also popular for its romantic river and woods. Are you sure it's not Birmingham? It's got canals. <laughs> I'm quite sure. <laughs> Any the further guesses? This is putting a, a, a geography and sort of cultural knowledge to the test here. Um, how about, uh, is it Budapest, something like that? Not quite, but close. You're wrong. <laughs> um, it's none other than the beautiful Vienna. The feeling is gone, only you and I. It mean nothing to me. It means nothing to me. Oh, Vienna. Here's me moving things on quickly from that painful singing attempt with a quick reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. This link and others on the themes raised in this episode can be found in the episode notes. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And we thought we would go big for this story because today's episode is all about how the United Nations uses international standards. Now, the world is racing to achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, by 2030. We covered the SDGs back in episode 7 of the podcast, when we spoke to Vimal Mahendru of the IEC, and that's still available to listen to on the podcast feed. But for this episode, we're covering topics beyond just the SDGs. For as well as attempting to try and meet these ambitious goals, countries are at the same time trying to combat the present crises of COVID-19 and climate change, as well as the ongoing challenges of demographic changes and the digital transformation of both societies and economies. To talk about these issues, our guest today is Dr. Bernardo Calcedia Sarmiento from the United Nations Industrial Development Organization, or UNIDO. We talked to Bernardo about how the UN uses international standards to support member states to address these important policy challenges. But before we hear from Bernardo, can we have your standards desk of news, please, Alan? The headlines this week. There's the draft standard for the measurement of wireless power, a warning active volcano zone symbol, and guidance for the use of social media in emergencies. Now, each year seems to bring a new iteration of the must-have mobile phones, and each year it seems they lose a connector of some sort, like a headphone jack, or maybe even the buttons. So is the power connector the next to go? Well, Draft Standard IEC 63288 Edition 1 Wireless Power Transfer may be just signalling that the days of power connections are numbered. The standard defines how to measure and evaluate and report energy consumption and transfer efficiency in wireless power transfer. Now, volcanoes, are you worried about the one in your backyard? Well worry no more, there's a new symbol on the block. The Warning Active Volcano Zone symbol. That's a new addition to the ISO 7010 standard 
Warning Active Volcano Zone, which is, I believe, Amendment 116. Now, for those of you that don't really get to grips with symbols uh, and don't see them all over the place like I do, a little bit maybe beautiful mind, I don't know, but you know, symbols are used everywhere, with perhaps the most famous being the on and off symbols, with a one for on and a zero for off. It brings binary to the home of millions worldwide. So, Matthew, I wonder, maybe we need to start finding out the stories behind the symbols, as well as the standards. I think we probably should, although active volcano news, that sounds like uh, that sounds like a potential new feature there. I'll be very, I'll be very excited to hear that every week. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Talking about the connectors as well, I think, uh, I think the power connections are certainly numbered in this house. I can never find one. Because the children are all <laughs> charging some sort of device with it. So, uh, yeah, they're definitely, num- definitely numbered in this household. And finally, we have ISO 22329, Guidelines for the Use of Social Media in Emergencies. Now, I can't help but think of a certain ex-president when I heard about this standard. And this document specifies guidelines for the use of social media in emergency management. The guidelines provide guidance on how organisations and the public can use and interact through social media before, during and after an incident, and how social media can support the work of emergency services. There's no mention of fake news, but the guidance does have definitions for both incorrect information and purposely misleading information. All three of these standards are now available for public comment via BSI's Standards Development Portal. So get commenting now and shape the way these standards, or symbols, develop. And that's the Standard Desk of News for this week. Back to you, Matthew and Cindy. Thanks ever so much, Alan. And as always, you can find the links to those stories in the episode notes. Now, as we mentioned earlier, our guest today is Dr. Bernardo Calzadilla Sarmiento. He's Managing Director of the Directorate of Digitalization, Technology and Agribusiness at UNIDO, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization. UNIDO's role is to promote inclusive and sustainable industrial development among its member states. Established in 1966 by the UN General Assembly as an autonomous body within the United Nations, in 1979 it went on to become one of the specialized agencies of the UN. With more than 25 years of international experience as a senior quality and standards expert covering Africa, Asia, Latin America, and holding various senior management positions with the UN and ISO, Bernardo definitely has some very powerful insights to share with us on how the UN uses standards as a tool to build resilient and agile economies. So Bernardo, it's absolutely fantastic to have you with us on the podcast today. I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. We're really keen to find out uh, their standard stories and their standards journey. So how did you get to this point? Have you been seduced by standards? Let me say first, uh, uh, thank you for having me, Matthew. This is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I am passionate about standards and uh, and how did it start? It's a, it's a good question. I think we, we, we don't start with the passion. We rather end with the passion. I started because I studied uh, industrial processes, and I had already an entry to, to quality. But as a matter of fact, when I started to work with UNIDO, I uh, was assigned a project that uh, was called Standards at Company Level. Uh, 
while I was an expert in quality, I didn't uh, quite understand what it is. And it was a project on total quality management uh, designed by Japanese engineers. And all what they were doing is uh, methodologies to introduce standards at, at the company level, which will then improve uh, uh, the performance of the company and the competitiveness. And uh, at the end of the day, it was basically the way in Japan they were uh, introducing at the companies the total quality management concept. It was also a time that uh, uh, ISO uh, had uh, launched what I would call the, the, the flagship uh, uh, um, uh, standard ISO 9000 where quality management became so central. So quality management uh, became a very important element uh, uh, for, for many years in the 90s, and it changed also the, the standardization uh, in some way, which was more on the technical side, more on, 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 on the specification, and it changed because with the ISO 9000, you moved to a new set of standards, which was process management. And I was uh, definitely uh, seduced by that, but later on, I started to, to work with, uh, with ISO, and I must say, when you talk to many people about standards, and, and I had the opportunity to invite the World Bank to, 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 to join uh, our work uh, with uh, the partners, uh, the, the person who joined, she was completely uh, not understanding uh, standardization is so dry, people are engineers, etc. But uh, I could think that there is a rule that people after a while become, as you have put it, seduced, uh, become passionate. And uh, from there, a different joint started to, uh, for me because I applied for a position uh, in, uh, in ISO, in the ISO Central Secretariat in Geneva. And I got a position to be the uh, secretary of DEFCO. The DEFCO is the Developing Countries uh, Policy Committee. And uh, one of the uh, executive uh, activities of this uh, position was also to uh, do training. And with that, I, I, I uh, supported and, and I helped to create what at the time was the ISO Academy, which was a, a system of providing training on both, on the one side, on standards development process for delegates attending technical committees. And later on, also, we worked a lot to disseminate uh, standards in the countries. Uh, I repeat, uh, on those days, uh, the key standard to promote uh, standardization was ISO 9000, but uh, many, many other standards came later, including environmental management system standards. And I also had the privilege, I would say, to participate in a multi-stakeholder process, which was uh, the development of a guidance document. It's not uh, an international standard in the, its status, but it's a guidance document for social responsibility. And uh, this was uh, a journey what, which was extremely uh, uh, um, important for my passion for um, uh, standards, because I really learned what it means to have multi-stakeholder engagement systems. We work with many stakeholders, enterprises, governments, consumers, uh, and uh, labor. So this was really a, a journey that accompanied me for, for a long while uh, until I, I rejoined UNIDO. I came back to UNIDO after having spent also several years at ISO. And uh, I also followed very much the standardization processes at the WTO. 
the TBT agreement, the SPS agreement, are based on on standards. As a matter of fact, the standards definition used in the WTO is an ISO definition. And in that, I, I rejoin something that is very important for UNIDO, is the work on quality infrastructure. So in quality infrastructure, uh, uh, we use as a basis standardization. Now, Bernardo, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I, I asked you whether you've been seduced by standards. You're certainly that. And it's only, I think, of, uh, that's happened to you. But you're also very much steeped in standards now, which is fantastic to hear. Now, you've touched upon some of the issues such as quality, which we're, we're going to ask you um which we're going to ask you on uh, later later in the interview. And Bernardo, that your story is really remarkable and your passion really does shine through and brings us to the UN. So the first topic that springs to mind when thinking of the UN are the Sustainable Development Goals, as the world is racing to achieve them in what less than a decade now. There's a lot of work being carried out mapping the contribution of standards to SDGs. So in two sentences, what would you say standards play in achieving the SDGs? What role do they play? Well, f- uh, thank you very much, Cindy. Th- first of all, let me say that uh, uh, the SDGs, they, 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 they were produced in 2015. And this was also a, a sort of consensus building process similar to standardization. Uh, and this was a process where there, there was already a lot of harmonization. And uh, certainly until then, and this is, we are in 2015, until then the main, uh, uh, I would say, the, the, the main raison d'etre that uh, everybody saw in standards is it's the contribution to economic competitiveness, to export, to facilitating trade. But with the SDGs, we show uh, we have uh, the 17 SDGs uh, that are structured around three uh, basic pillars, people, planet, prosperity. And the SDGs have shown that standards contribute to all these SDGs, uh, be it uh, uh, health, education, energy, uh, all standards are contributing to uh, a, a environment. So uh, I think that the, the SDGs has shown the widespread and the scope of the contribution of standards to development. They are an important driver for sustainable development. Now, I'm afraid there's no avoiding really the crisis of our times, is there? You know, COVID-19. COVID um, what lessons do you think it offers about the role of standards in the developing and, and the developed world? COVID uh, has, has uh, certainly reinforced uh, the importance of standards and uh, the importance of standards to each of the SDGs. Uh, uh, standards are essential for uh, a test and uh, a test have been a, a very important word and concept that came during COVID time. Resilience was very important. Business continuity was important. So we have heard a number of concepts during COVID time and we have seen how standards are essential to uh, to contribute. Standards in the, in the health sector also are, have been essential to ensure that uh, personal protective equipment meets the requirements and is effectively protecting people. Uh, standards and the uh, 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 mutual recognition, the standards build trust. This is important to recognize. And in times of COVID, we were on their need to build trust that was possible thanks to uh, the standards uh, fulfilling its function, helping that cross-border movement of which uh, has been more and more trusted and could resume 
in cases of disruption or in, in some cases uh, disruption did not happen because we had a, a good standardization and mutual trust system in place. Yes, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of useful pointers around standards and trust that we should take away from this forerunner pandemic to become more resilient and ultimately build back better. As they say, adversity often forces societies to advance. Looking more broadly and longer term, the great challenges we face relate to climate change, demographic change and digital transformation. However, before looking into the future, let us briefly look back at how standards have enabled economic development and growth in developing countries thus far. So what would you say have been the main contribution of standards with respect to key themes such as trade, industrialization, digital transformation and climate change? My entry point for standards has been quality. And quality uh, embeds uh, standards and, and, and what you need to increase the competitiveness is better quality and reducing cost. And by reducing cost and improving your quality that you uh, reach through standards, you are improving your uh, competitiveness. And by improving your competitiveness, you are enabling your integration into the global value chain. So I think this is an important aspect to say for many countries, it was important to be able to measure better because when we talk about standards, also we have a variety of standards, not only documentary standards, but physical metrological standards. I remember a, a very important story in Chile where they were exporting uh, copper to, 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 to Asia. I don't remember if it was uh, Japan or which country. And they found out that they, 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 their whole uh, scales and their whole uh, uh, basic standards were not in place and how much money they were losing. So it's not only about increasing export, but uh, having also the, the right costing. So it, it is about boosting economic competitiveness and helping the companies to reach the markets. Ever wondered how standards are made or who gets to make them? Why standards are numbered the way they are and who gets to choose these numbers? Or maybe you have a burning question about standards related to your job or the sector in which you work? Well, this is your chance to ask the BSI Education Podcast and we will get your questions answered. All you have to do is record your question via audio message and send it to education at bsigroup.com. We'll put the best ones to a panel of experts in a future episode, so stay tuned. Now, looking ahead then, um, one issue that has come up uh, on some of our, our podcast episodes in the past, and it's something we probably will return to in the future, is the relationship between uh, governments and, and legislation, regulations and, and standards. Now, do you think that perhaps governments have focused too much on legislation and regulation when in fact in, in fast-moving situations, a focus on standards would have been better? And do you think this situation will change in the future? Uh, you are making uh, really uh, the key questions, I think, of regulation is precisely that and, and the, the divergent views that uh, basically government has and private sector has. Yeah, Private sector uh, consider that technical regulation should be 
even you know, governed by themselves, by technical regulation, by company regulation, and the government, they want to enforce. So I, I, I think that uh, it, it is uh, correct to say that there is a, a, a virtuous relationship or we should aim at having a virtuous relationship between standards and regulations. We have seen so many examples where standards uh, are uh, used as a basis for regulation and as such, they contribute more. I, personally, I believe that uh, uh, regulation uh, is much better uh, reached uh, when uh, uh, there is a vol voluntary contribution to that. Yeah. Uh, while on the other hand, there are certain areas, it may be uh, even in the environmental side, in, in, in some areas uh, where you, you need to define maximum uh, 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 requirements and, and, or minimum requirements so that you ensure uh, certain objectives to be met. What we need to do is to uh, provide uh, the, the opportunity to uh, identify best practice. So the most prominent use case of international standards has been to facilitate trade and gain market access, as you said, economic competitiveness. And from our field of work, Bernardo, we know that many developing countries struggle to demonstrate compliance of products with standards and market requirements, ultimately resulting in border rejections. International agencies have been delivering a variety of technical assistance improved to improve um, the quality of products and thereby seamlessly integrate into global value chains, as you mentioned. So tell us a bit about Unido's approach to quality infrastructure and value chain development and specifically how it uses international standards. Yeah, I think we need to look back a bit in the evolution of, of, of standards. Uh, Unido has played an important role in the establishment of many standards bodies in the development world. And, and at the beginning, standard uh, uh, institutions were created as uh, an umbrella organization. You had metrology there, you had testing there, uh, you had certification, they were doing everything. But little by little, best practice showed that you have to separate certain functions. Uh, uh, metrology institutions, part were separated, standards were separated, and uh, there was a need to have also a, 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 an overall view how to separate function and still to see the whole as as a um, uh, as a system. As a matter of fact, in the past you had a lot of separated laws uh, for standards and metrology law, metrology act. Still, many countries use this system, uh, but it is only in the 90s and after the 90s that the the, the concept of quality infrastructure was coined. Unido was instrumental to. To, to support this notion because we wanted to see it as a system and as a system where you have a holistic approach addressing the different levels, the regulation and the policy that we mentioned, the institutions, the basic institutions such as uh, standardization, metrology and accreditation and then to see that uh, uh, you have to provide services, quality infrastructure services, inspection, certification, calibration, etc., and you move into uh, uh, having also to work on the demand. So Unido has been trying to show that there is a need to have create a balance between what countries offer in terms of quality infrastructure, we are using all the term of quality infrastructure, and what is the real demand. Uh, we had a number also of bad experiences. We, I mean, uh, we, the development partners. Uh, for me, it was extremely frustrating when I visit some, visited sometimes some countries 
and I see that the, the laboratory uh, infrastructure could be there, and then you find out that there is a, a, a request and people ask you to help them to set up the labs, and then you dig a bit more, and they have received already the equipment, and the equipment has never been installed, etc., because there was never a link between what is being created and what is the demand for that. So UNIDO has been uh, very much trying to look that you need at the same time to work with the enterprises, to work with the consumers, so to create the demand. And for that, we developed a value chain approach. And we have been quite successful with that. I think quite successful to apply it in our project because a bit the approach of UNIDO is we try and test this as pilots in UNIDO and, and then we try to give it to all other partners to also uh, work with them. And in many cases, the ideal uh, is when the countries themselves, they, they, they manage to adopt certain approaches. And this has been happening in, in, in many parts of, of the world. I was very surprised recently to read that even a country that is so big and so complex and so organized like Mexico, they were working in putting a system uh, a, a of uh, quality infrastructure through uh, a quality policy. That's really interesting. I like how you've really brought out the holistic and systemic approach that is needed. So just going back to the beginning, you mentioned um, the three Ps, planet, people, and prosperity. And I'd like to add one more P, partnerships, which are key to accelerate change and moreover to ensure that the transformation achieved is sustainable, be it cross-sectoral, public-private, regional, or even at the international level. So tell us a bit about your collaboration with regional bodies and the INETQI, the International Network for Quality Infrastructure. Um, yes, and you are being very, very comprehensive uh, because, uh, as a matter of fact, the SDGs have structured five Ps. Yes. Uh, the, the, the partnership is, is in, uh, there is a goal for partnership and there is one for peace, which is governance. And I am contributing to your contribution in the sense that when we look at partnerships, we are, uh, have to look also at the contribution of, of standards for governance, for good governance in many areas, in, uh, uh, in, 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 in the application of the thematic areas where it, it happens, but also the contribution of uh, uh, precisely to, to forge these partnerships. And, and, and what we saw is that you need a being an, a, a single entity uh, cannot do it alone, uh, and that we needed to uh, start having common understanding uh, of, of these concepts like system approach, like holistic approach, like uh, policy approach, yeah? Uh, because uh, as mentioned to you, uh, at, uh, at the WTO, the, the basic concept is taken from an ISO definition, which is the definition of standard. But when you move into the the, the, the other uh, system approach, which is quality infrastructure and, and a holistic approach, we had no definition. Yeah, But UNIDO cannot come up alone with a, a definition because other important partners uh, were having uh, and using quality infrastructure with slight variations, including market surveillance, including what we uh, call the, the, the basics. So we uh, were able to, to, to really work with INETQI, and INETQI was also the outcome of a long process of collaboration. At the beginning, it was called the Joint Committee on Metrology Accreditation and Standardization for Developing Countries for coordinating that. And finally, we 
came to uh, not a committee but a network and then the network decided to call international network for quality infrastructure and with this group which basically has the global player the international players on metrology standards accreditation uh, and uh, some of the agencies international agencies that contribute such as UNIDO, ITC, the World Bank, UNIC uh, we uh, brought them together in expert group meetings uh, to forge the concept and the definition of uh, quality infrastructure and we work also together on, on quality policy uh, this was a, a very very interesting uh, work because we could agree and the most uh, rewarding element of this joint work together is that all these uh, basic documents that we did with INETQI today are common practice uh, we, uh, we see that many countries I mentioned to you the case of Mexico in the, uh, 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 they applied the quality policy con concepts that we developed without any intervention of UNIDO anymore. It was completely internalized. Uh, I think in, in the UK you have something like a standards network, I don't remember, on, on, on a Commonwealth network for standards. And, and, and I have seen that they have been disseminating the quality policy principles a lot in the Caribbean countries, yeah, in, in, in cross-queue countries. And recently also we have, uh, as a matter of fact, we are launching this next week, uh, uh, our uh, work and it was a, 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 a let's a spring off of this quality policy work was to, to work on lab policy. I mentioned to you uh, sometimes the difficulties country have in, in have a balanced uh, laboratory policy because uh, the, the, the chief of a laboratory, he wants more equipment, uh, he wants more, uh, but he doesn't look that he is really having the demand, that he has all the competencies, that he is accredited. So we have a competition of the labs in many countries, uh, public, private. So we, we started to address the problems on specifically laboratory infrastructure development through a lab policy and this is normative work in somewhere not 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 so strong as as as, as a, a formal policy would be because this is a consensus based development of a policy in the countries it is an interactive policy making with the private sector with the stakeholders but still it pretends to uh, uh, align and defines the roles and responsibilities. So next week we are very happy. UNIDO will launch this uh, laboratory policy, which we worked out with a different set of organizations, more with uh, uh, laboratory-based accreditation bodies, metrology bodies, and uh, we hope that uh, this will help the countries to have better uh, uh, development, be best practice, but also to improve the governance. That's really interesting, and I wish you all the best with your new publication. But just going back to um, the Commonwealth Standards Network and countries taking up this quality policy work that INETQI and I believe BSI also contributed in around 2018, it's the best testament to see that there is a general uptake of these documents. So that's excellent. So. The global economy is dynamic and changing a pace driven by digital, um, digital transformation and other factors that we mentioned previously. The quality infrastructure system continues to have an important role to play in achieving these SDGs, but critics say that it is a relic of the analog age, too slow to respond to current needs. So what changes would you like to see over the next five to 10 years to enable it to play an even more important role in health 
helping achieve our goals and the less developed countries to prosper in global markets. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it is very, very uh, strong the way you, you put it. I think that in certain areas, the quality infrastructure is fulfilling its role, but there is a need to uh, modernize, there is a need to update, and uh, there is a need to mainstream, I would say, to introduce all these new technologies in the quality infrastructure into, in institutions. But at the same time, as we are looking how we are going to emerge out of COVID-19, also to look at, we will be able to recover well only if we try to do it better and with a vision of sustainability. So what we have been promoting, and I would say more than promoting, uh, is advocating is uh, to introduce these uh, new technologies in, um, uh, in, 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 in quality infrastructure. In standards, anyhow, uh, standardization has uh, started to, to, to have a wonderful start in developing standards for the different areas, be it 3D printing, uh, be it uh, uh, IT-related issues, uh, be it uh, uh, a blockchain, in, including... All these elements have been benefiting uh, for, from a standardization and there is more to come. We, we, we see that our standards can contribute also to uh, cybersecurity, to uh, artificial intelligence and, 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 and all what the dangers relate to, to, to this and, and uh, making it fit for purpose, fit for this new reality. The first thing to do is that quality infrastructure institutions need to change the mindset. I, and there I agree fully with you. We need to change the mindset so to be open to introduce these new technologies and also to serve for these technologies. The process is, is, is coming tremendously fast. This uh, digital transformation is coming fast and many uh, risks are being uh, 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 are coming with uh, the, these new changes and standards can definitely help to mitigate uh, and to have some better addressing uh, the uh, absorption capacity. For developing countries, one of the big challenges, adopting the standards requires infrastructure. And for that, many countries are not equipped. So again, it is all about having a more uh, comprehensive, more holistic view of all uh, the requirements so that the evolution and basically your question, I see it, how do we, I see it in the long run? And in the long run, we have to change and we have to introduce all these uh, new uh, 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 technologies into the way we do our work. And this will come because there is a demand for it. And again, this is the important nexus that is important in standards with society is there needs to be the demand and the need to introduce them, and then standards are called to play their full uh, role. Bernardo, just just sticking with uh, developing countries, you've you've talked uh, in the last few answers about the sort of systemic issues, but just drilling down a bit into sectors here. So, what sectors do you think in developing countries uh, need further uh, standards-related support, uh, and how should we approach this? to get it right? And in particular, how do you see standards evolving in the agri-food sector to promote sustainability and efficiencies? Thank you. Uh, definitely, uh, as I mentioned to, to, to you before, we have been looking more and more on sector-specific uh, uh, approaches. 
and uh, uh, just to name one, uh, uh, food safety is, is, is a sector that requires a tremendous amount. And food safety has shown also in COVID times to be so relevant. And, 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 and uh, it is not only about uh, the safety itself, it's, it's also about food security, is avoiding uh, food waste. So I think that that, that, that is uh, a, an area where standards are uh, coming to play uh, an, an important role to uh, contribute, to improve. And why? Because uh, in, in other uh, areas like machines or automotive, etc., you, you are dealing more with, with physical goods. But in um, uh, the case of agriculture, many of these uh, goods are perishable. And uh, this is why a, a good uh, management uh, of the processes requires a strong adherence to uh, many uh, regulations sometimes, but standards can help to have good practice and exploit all the potential that you can have. So this is one sector. Energy is another sector where developing countries, uh, many developing countries that have been based on, on coal and uh, have not good practice in saving energy. You need to, the, the industries that are, are, are working in many developing countries are completely inefficient. Uh, and also uh, the, the creation of new uh, uh, renewable energy is a very important uh, way where standards can play a role. So the areas are, 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 are diverse. I, I would say that in developing countries, uh, not looking at it from the uh, economic side, but from the environmental side, uh, uh, standards are called to play an important role. The sectors that you touched on, agriculture, energy and environment, are all undergoing a lot of changes. And the key concept here that arises is sustainability. So um, we're aware that UNIDO is an active member of UNFSS, the UN Forum on Sustainability Standards. Um, could you tell us what this forum does and how it links with international standardization? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as I was mentioning, sustainability is a, is a key concept, uh, but I, I always think uh, on, on the history of standardization and, and, and international standards uh, uh, changed from being a, a technical specification type of standards to process-oriented standards. Mm -hmm. But then uh, there was the next movement is to include uh, social issues. And this is when I, I had the privilege to be part of this uh, um, standardization process in in ISO on the working group of, on social responsibility. And social responsibility englobes a number of issues, be it to protect labor, be it to uh, protect the environment, uh, sustainability, and, and uh, also to uh, make sure that uh, companies uh, can also demonstrate that they are complying with it. Uh, so this is another area where we would think that there are strong uh, controversies uh, which system should be dominant. Uh, should it be regulatory, purely regulatory on labor, or can we use soft regulation such as a standard to regulate? Uh, and, and a softer way of regulating came with uh, sustainability standards, which are many of them coming from the private sector, coming from the NGO world. And uh, they have been mainly coming in the food safety sector. Tesco and all these big buyers started to have their own uh, way of assessing safety. 
they want to uh, sell also uh, a, a better quality to demonstrating that they are more uh, stringent and sustainability standards uh, started to become a basically a problem there was too much divergence there, there were too much variety and uh, this is why under the leadership of our sister agency uh, ANCTAD uh, they created the sustainability standards forum to discuss also the challenges for developing countries to adopt these private standards. These sustainability standards have been growing in importance and the more we work in the value chain, we see that there is demand because that's what the companies that are working in the value chains we support are uh, calling for. So I think that uh, this movement will continue, but we have also to make sure that it does not become a barrier to trade, a hidden barrier to trade for uh, developing countries, which really uh, have difficulties to comply with standards, whatever it is. And this is why there is a role for us. There is a role to show from the field to this forum, which is more a policy and global forum of debate, uh, how uh, companies feel affected by this. We, we, we feel that our engagement is uh, in, in sustainability standards will continue, is very promising, uh, and uh, uh, we uh, uh, think also that sustainability standards are here to stay uh, and, and uh, as back-to-back uh, uh, -to, -back to other levels of standardization uh, while uh, being an organization that is very much anchored in the WTO, uh, we strongly promote international standardization as the most uh, preferred way to do standards. Uh, and, and sure, uh, international standards are based on national standards. BSI is a, a big contributor of standards. We see our uh, work now, uh, I recently engaged in a process on circular economy and uh, BSI already had the standard on that. Uh, so we uh, uh, try to engage in standards in, in the different uh, domains. And, and we don't do it from an academic point of view, but we do it because we are in con constant interaction with the companies which demand certain uh, services from us. And that's the way we are evolving. And uh, th this is how we become all uh, passionate about standards. Absolutely. This has been really insightful, Bernardo. And it's great to see that there are so many forums for collaborations between UN agencies and other stakeholders to build back better and a greener world. So thank you. One final question from my side. What are the developing country trends that standard organizations, be it at national, regional or international level, should be looking out for? So in, 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 in the next future, we will focus very much on innovation. And innovation is very important in a time where we are really confronted with so much technological change and where we will uh, have to innovate after the di disruption that represented COVID-19 and uh, moving into uh, precisely more a, a more sustainable uh, moment and uh, that, that, that requires the world. Climate change, as I said, is the next big challenge for uh, uh, the planet uh, and, and standards can play a role in uh, shaping uh, uh, technologies and technologies will help us to, uh, 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 to build back better towards sustainability. 
Now, Bernardo, I just wanted to mention to listeners, we've, we've covered a huge range of content in this, in this interview, which is fantastic. So just a reminder to listeners that uh, you can find links to many of the things that uh, Bernardo and, and Cindy and I have referenced uh, in the episode notes. Now, Bernardo, I've been keeping a track here. Um, I think we've got six Ps. We've covered people, prosperity, planet, partnerships, peace, and I think passion too. And I'd like to add a seventh and final P, which is pleasure. So it's been our absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking part and for sharing your insights and your perspective with us. Oh, actually, that's an eighth one, isn't it? That's an eighth P. So just thank you very much. Uh, uh, it was indeed a, a pleasure. And uh, um, as uh, I heard this morning, I wish you a happy year of the ox. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. You just heard a stripped media production. 